Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I have a really cool guest with us today. Actually, I'm not in the office in Toronto. I jumped into the truck, drove across a semi-busy highway, and I'm in London, Ontario, hanging out with another massage therapist. His name is Ross, and he's got some really interesting stuff going on. How long have I known you? Very like we don't know each other. We don't know each other at all. Well, you know, I I but recognize we know you of each other. My my my, my house. <laughs> I, I recognize your car. Actually, I saw you driving around, and I thought yeah, you're I either a lurker or you know I should be calling some cops or something. But you know, you thought, know there's a Ghostbuster car in your neighborhood. I know there is one. It's I, nearly tacky. I felt creepy taking a picture of it. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, well so done. not only was I the lurker trying to find this place. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, it's not where I thought it was going to be. No, it never is. Yeah. We've tried to get uh, the cops and the fire department and the ambulance here in, in record time, and they just drive by it. It's fun. You should watch it. Why would the cops have been here? Well, these were the day. Can, we can go into this later, but my, yeah. mom, my mom had Alzheimer's dementia. And so ah, okay. When she decided to go for a wander, the cops had to be called, and, and they had to take her home. and. So they drove by on Westmount Drive rather than turning into Westmount Hills Drive. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's get into that. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm sitting down with Ross. He is a registered massage therapist. I know of Ross because the other half of what we do of two massage therapists and a microphone is our continuing education company called Conant Institute. And we've had the pleasure of Ross sitting into a couple of our classes He's holding up fingers, two or three or so, and a very interesting guy. I also uh, follow Ross on social media, and I see some of the stuff that he's got going on that made me want to reach out and say, hey, do you want to record something? Because if if social media posts reflect any small percentage of what goes on in that brain, let's let's let uh, as many of our listeners get a feel for what that is. Hmm. So let's do this. First, since this is a podcast kind of for RMTs, tell us about your RMT career. So first off, how long have you been an RMT for? I can't do math. So I've been an RMT since November of 2000, whatever that is, 18 and some odd months, 18 years and some odd months. And what made you decide massage therapy is the place to be for you? Or is it the place to be for you? Are you are you are you digging this job? Or well, I have been doing it for just over eighteen years, so I should probably dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good job. There are times when I'm not as satisfied with um, my ability to get my point across to certain other health professionals, um, and so I like the idea of getting more education so that I can have, say, an MD after my name or a PT after my name, including the RMT. I'm not, I'm never really going to drop the RMT. What's the point to the professionals that, like, what's the last time you're like, mm, they're not, my point's not being met here? There are a couple things going on. One, I want to have more responsibility of um, doing an assessment, more than assessment. I'd like to diagnose. Okay. Um, I would like to diagnose. I'd like to be responsible for the... Um, for the diagnosis and prescription of either treatment exercises or whatever other therapeutic interventions need to be happening for a per- for a person, rather than having to go through the medical model and saying, "Excuse me, doctor, can you please um, 
sign off on this. I'd like to be the one who signs off on it. Right, right, right. So that and I have a, a mind that never wants to quit. Where do you think you might go with this then? Because um, you did throw out a couple of things there. PT, yeah. MD. So at McMaster, they have a program. Um, it's a five-year dual program for Masters of Physiotherapy and Doctorate of uh, Rehabilitation Science. Mm-hmm. That is one direction I've, I, I have been looking at, and it's basically been basic, uh, It's been about two weeks where I've just been mulling it over in my mind, thinking, hmm, do I really want to go down this road? I am a certain age, and when you get to a certain age... What is the certain age? 50. That's okay. <laughs> when you... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why are you laughing? <laughs> is your reaction, man? What was my reaction like? Tell, your me, reaction tell me what I looked like. You were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I, that's I, old, man. I don't think fifty's old at all. Actually, oh, you're I, so nice because well, you're in I'm, your thirties, right? No, not even close. Oh. I, I, it's, 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 it's a weird thing. I am nineteen seventy-five. What am I? I'm forty-four this year. Mm-hmm. I lost a year. I, I, for the longest, Alien? for all last, yeah, I, I wish, because that'd be a story. All last year, I was telling people I was 42. I was telling people 42, and I didn't even realize that I was 43. It's not until the last person asked me, hey, how old are you? I'm like, oh, I was born 75. They're like, oh, so you're turning 44. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm 44. <laughs> <laughs> so 50 to me doesn't, doesn't seem, you know. You know, it's a funny thing. When I was in my 40s, I thought, ah, 50, whatever. Turning 50 is the weirdest thing. I've had a whole, there's this whole epiphany that went on in my brain over a lot, over the a course of maybe, maybe, you know, two or three weeks or something like that. But 50, it's like half a century. Next half of the century, I'm not going to live probably well until I'm 100. I don't know anybody, like I work with old people. So the old people that I work with, even the one who's 96 and living at home and doing brilliantly for herself. She's not in great shape. She's not running. She's not running a marathon. She's not swimming a mile. Mm-hmm. You know, the first half, the first 50 years, fantastic. The second half, the second 50 years, you begin to notice these things. Maybe it's just a psychological thing for me, but still turning 50, there was that psychological break that said, I'm no longer in my forties and no longer young. Yeah. The old people, sure. They all say, oh, Ross, you're so young. Yeah, yeah. Are you okay with being old? Not that you're old, but you think you're old. I'm older. Are you okay yeah, with that? Better than the alternative. Are you scared of dying? Um, I'm scared of not breathing. I'm scared of being in pain. Mm. I watched my mom die. I held her hand as she died. That was heavy. I can imagine. Actually, I can't. Take no. that back. I can't imagine. Yeah. So I took care of my mom. This is sort of going off into this other realm that you were suggesting earlier. So... Um, it was in 19, no, 2010, she fell and broke her hip. And, um, we found out around that time that she had had dementia. Um, so I started taking care of her. At first she had to stay in the hospital and then she had to go to a, um, a retirement home for about eight months. And then I said, right, you're not staying there. You're going home because that's where you're comfortable. So she went home here. I took care of her until, the day after she turned 84, at which point she decided to go for a walk, even though she, and by that point, had basically stopped talking English. Um, her first language is English, but when you get to the point of Alzheimer's and dementia where things stop working properly, then um, she couldn't, she couldn't 
express herself in a way that was understandable. And um, she couldn't walk properly. She couldn't toilet herself. She couldn't do everything. I was her 24-7 caregiver. Mm -hmm. And um, I turned my back for one second. And if those of you out there who have children have ever done this, you beat yourself over the head, senseless from the guilt and the horrificness of it. But when your child falls down, they usually bounce. When my mom fell down, she, at this point, fractured her pelvis. Wow. <clears throat> and a month later, she died. So she spent a month in hospital. She basically refused to eat. Nothing I could do or say or beg or borrow or steal could get her to eat. And so from November 4th of 2016 until November 21st, she was in palliative care mm -hmm. uh, where she wasn't eating, she wasn't drinking. She survived for 17 days without eating or drinking, and then she died. And I was with her 98% of the time. So, why was I talking about that? Something about dying. Oh, yes, you asked me if I'm afraid of dying. Yeah. I'm afraid of Alzheimer's. I'm afraid of dementia. I'm afraid of losing my noggin so I learn as much as I can. I'm taking modern Greek. I'm trying, I'll be taking Spanish and French and German and Bengali and um, whatever language I can throw my brain at. I'll be take, I want to take physiotherapy. I want to take, if I can get in, I want to become a doctor. If I can get in, I want to. I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can. I want to read and read and read and learn and learn and learn so that my brain doesn't fall out. Is that the major reason for the quest of education is to keep the brain going? Uh, keep the brain going. Keep, um, keep my therapy relevant. I know that I help people, sure, but I want to be more helpful. I don't have kids through a, an accident. One might say, no, not an accident. Through a mistake. Mr. Rogers says there's no such thing as a person who's a mistake. I know we're going, oh, look at your face. You're I saying, love it. What, where the heck is this man? Where is the heck is this man's mind? My, bleh, where the heck is this mind's man going? My, man's whatever. Something. Man's mind. Yeah. Man's mind. Yeah. Maybe I should take more English. <laughs> um, what did I say? I got myself off track. No kids. Accident. Not an accident. Not an accident. Yeah. So I don't know if I want to tell you all of that stuff, but yeah. um, I can't have kids. And so I have none. I'm separated, even though my ex-wife and I still live in the same house together, which is fun. Um, but we, we do, we live, we live in the same house, but we live separate lives. No children want children enormously, but there we are. So I want to be relevant. I want to be helpful. I want to be, I want to be able to, I want to do for those around me what I would have liked to have kids for, to raise to help people, to make sure that they develop, to make sure that they can do, to make sure that they can be the types of people they want to be. Mm -hmm. If I only see them for an hour a week, okay. If I only see them for an hour a month, whatever, I want to help people and make them feel good. So much stuff, man. Hmm. Too much. Never too much. It's who you are. So it's never too much. Some might argue that, but anyway, carry on. I'm really curious. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to, obviously. How does the living situation work, and how did that come about? Like, how do you guys end up in this? How does how does that go? Mm, well, um, so uh, I don't want to tell you too much about all the ins and outs yeah, 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 yeah. and the too many details. And I you don't know, if this we can roll right by this if you want. Yeah, Get no, back no. to the RMT stuff. <laughs> no, that's cool. I don't mind. It's all it's all part of being an RMT, right? Because we're all we're it's it's all a health journey, whatever the, the health is. Yeah. So 
just about two years ago, I realized that um, my wife at the time and I, we just were two separate beings, two, and not separate beings in the way that, you know, a married couple are two separate beings, but they love each other and they belong together. But we are two separate beings where some of our thoughts and our values and our, and the way we behave and the way we interact with other people, they're different and they're too different to make a happy life out of it. And so I, I was the one who said, um, we have to be separate. Was I ready for that move? Was I ready to say we should be separate? No. My mom had just died mm-hmm. four months earlier, I think. Five months earlier. Mm-hmm. Five months earlier. Was the estate in order? No. Was my job back to being where it should be, you know, busy and all that? No. Did I have any idea about the future? No. But I knew what I knew what I needed at the moment, mm-hmm. so I said, "This is what has to happen." Was that met with any objection? Much. She didn't. She didn't really expect it. Mm-hmm. We'd had we'd had some fights and some arguments and so on, but yeah. she didn't really expect it. But then she's come around. She reminds me that I was the one who did the breaking up, but we're actually significantly better friends now than um, than we were. A couple. That makes no sense. We're better as, there we go, as. English. (laughs) Uh, We are better as friends now than we were as a married couple. So the living situation ends up being okay then? Yeah, she has her room. I have my room. I do my things in the the master bedroom because it's my house and she pays me a, a amount of rent and she has her rooms and she has her choir practice here from time to time because she's a choir director. Mm-hmm. Um, we watch the same TVs from time to time. We hang out, we chat. We are like friends and it's, nice. and it's really nice. It's a really interesting setup. It's a, it's a really mature setup. Maybe that's uh, all part of being 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this all happened when I was 48, man. 48, 49. <laughs> Uh, I only just turned 50 like three or four months ago. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's no point in being miserable at each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're different. Yes, we shouldn't be a married couple, but why be a jerk about it? Yeah, that's pretty big. More people should be like that. Yeah, sure. It's hard. Rainbows and cupcakes. Rainbows and cupcakes. And strangely enough, testosterone, which could lead me to my to the reason why I don't have kids. But that's... If, it's tempting because I like talking to you. You have, you have a face that says, talk to me, talk to me. <laughs> but then you have this microphone strapped to you. Okay. and then yeah. It's a thing. Okay. I've got things on my face. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So here's the world's going to find out. If, if, if you want the world to find out. Sure, I don't care. Yeah, I okay. do care, but yeah, you all are nice out there, aren't you? They said yes. <laughs> they said yes. <laughs> so when I was 47... Is not a song by the Beatles. When I was 47, I was wondering, actually when I was 37, I was wondering why I couldn't have kids. And so I had some tests. So you guys were trying to have kids though? Yep. Okay. Yep. In the usual way. Mm-hmm. You know, requisition a stork and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why no, no storks came around. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Trying to have kids. Nothing was happening. So I produced... Um, a sample, a sterile way of saying that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and when my doctor brought me into his office and said, Ross, you got no swimmers, man. And I said, well, that's weird. 
Because usually, if you have, if you're, if you're a normal guy, you at least have swimmers. Yeah. Some might have two heads. Some might have three heads. Some have heads at either end and are trying to go in, in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, I mean, most guys have something. I have nothing. So I was wondering what gives. And then I stopped wondering about it because I just thought, okay, well, I'm sterile. So therefore <clears throat> I'm not going to be having any children. And that threw me for a loop just by itself because I always thought of myself as a family man. Then I sort of forgot about it. And mm. then I went off and I was playing squash and I was playing tennis and I was, you know, being active, which I'm not now. Were those things in place to help you forget about it or? No, no okay. because I like to move just around. Just because, right? Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't want to get fat. It's a thing. So out playing squash and I, my body went one way and my left leg didn't and I heard heard and felt a remarkable rip, and I thought, oh, dear Lord, what have I done to myself? So I thought I gave myself a hernia, because that's what one doctor told me. You have a hernia. And so I went to shoulder ice, because that's what all good RMTs do, because we've heard about shoulder ice in our classes, and we thought, and I thought, hey, go to shoulder ice. Shoulder ice says, you don't have a hernia. And I thought, okay, well, that's cool. You just ripped yourself. So this went on, and uh, I thought... If I don't have a hernia, then I'm not going to get it repaired. Right. It's still bugging me, still bugging me, still bugging me. And then I went to see another doctor, and this time it was a urologist because I had some other issues that I wanted to have seen to. Again, sterile, remarking about things. Um, so the urologist said, he took one look at me, and he said, you have Kleinfelters. And I thought, what? So do you remember what Kleinfelters is? Oh, good for you. Um, Kleinfelters is a genetic... Uh, abnormality of the sex chromosomes. You have kids, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're a normal man. You're an XY man. Chromosomes normal. Sure. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Your wife, (laughs) girlfriend, Mm, wife, wife. Good. She is a normal woman. XX woman. Mm -hmm. I'm abnormal. Mm. I'm XXY. Gotcha. So some might say I'm XY I'm I'm an XY man with an extra X. Some might just say I am XXY. Some might say um, the nickname for it is 47XXY. Some might call me intersex. I'm outing myself as intersex on your show. Whoa. Yeah, pretty cool. Eh? Um, intersex. Some might call it weird and freaky. Because I found out when I was 47, which is kind of amusing, because of the 47XXY. Um, my doctor really didn't suggest that I should take testosterone because while I have really low testosterone, which ties back into my earlier remark about the testosterone thing, uh, I have really low testosterone. It doesn't, to give me extra would just basically make me weird. So my personality would change. My body would change. My way of dealing with the world would change because testosterone has that effect on guys. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, 50 plus, your testosterone is going to be dropping anyway. So not a big deal. I was just sort of thought, it, it was thought best that I just leave it, leave well enough alone and get on with my life. Mm-hmm. So what does 47XXY do? Well, it means that I'll never get a big ripping upper body like I've always wanted. Never going to happen. Okay. Um, You've I, always wanted one? Well, I've wanted to be stronger, but I've never been able to. I worked out like a fiend when I was younger mm-hmm. and I always had stick figure legs right. and, or stick figure arms rather. I'll always have belly fat. I mean, yeah, sure, most guys do. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at my brother, for instance. He goes out and bikes about as much as I do, and he's ripped. I did the MS ride this past year, loved it, 
150 kilometers over two days. I look exactly the same then as I did every other day, belly fat. Um, it gives me a greater sense of empathy. It gives me a greater sense of sympathy. Um, way more likely to have female friends than male friends. Uh, no Adam's apple. More likely to have gynecomastia. More likely to have uh, breast cancer. Way less likely to have prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to grow my mustache. I do anyway. Yeah, you, you got the... I have a mustache. Yeah. Way less overall body hair. A variety of things. So, and then more, as I say, more empathy, more um, emotionally aware. Is this stuff that you've already known about yourself or you kind of came to realization? Bit of both. I'd always asked, I've always, I've always thought of myself as being a bit peculiar. Then I had a reason why. Oh, that's why I have, I don't have all the things that make a guy a guy. I don't mm. have, and then therefore I don't have sperm. I don't have the ability to be a father. I also don't have massive testosterone to make me, you know, oomph, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So hello world. I have 47 XXY. It's a thing. Has it changed your identity at all? Weird question. Good question. Yes and no. Um, it did for a while. I wondered, it was basically, you sort of alluded to that earlier. Does it answer any questions? Yes. It answered all the questions about why I'm peculiar. Then it also asked a whole bunch of other questions. Well, two or three, mainly. What is gender? It's a big one. What is sexuality? That's a big one. So if you're 47XXY, that means I'm sort of on that spectrum between male and female. Not exactly male, XY. Not exactly female, XX. And then what is my place in life? And why do I always seem to choose a female, quote-unquote, female type of professions? Mm -hmm. Not to say that massage therapy is female. However, I am to say I am saying that in London, for instance, there's 360 RMTs and 330 of them are female. Anyway, sorry for all those listening who got offended. Um, Fuck them. <laughs> strangely, no, but okay. <laughs> Where was I with that? Yeah, so gender and sexuality. What is gender and sexuality when you aren't either, when you aren't X and you aren't Y? Mm -hmm. So what is gender? Chromosomally. Genetically, I'm neither male nor female. I'm male with an extra X. You could, we could all then say, like all of you normal types could say, well, I'm, I'm an X with a Y. I'm X with an X. I'm male with an extra X. Not exactly male, not exactly female. In that case, what is straight? What's gay? Mm -hmm. Am I straight? Am I gay? Well, I'm sort of neither male nor female. Does that mean that I'm, I like girls. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. And so a friend of mine asked me, you know, I, I really want to know, what do you think of yourself? For 47 years, I thought of myself as a guy. Why on earth would that change? For 47 years, I've thought of myself as liking women. Why would that change? I can see how, maybe it would change. I don't know. If, if, I, if I found out tomorrow I'm adopted and, uh, you know, my ethnicity is not what I thought it was the whole time, maybe it's going to flip a switch on me and I'm... You're going to start to think of myself really different. Huh? Um, the ideas that of how we think of ourselves aren't really going to change that drastically. Do I think that I'm female? No. I think of myself as male with some female um, or some, not necessarily female, but some uh, gender non-specific traits. What, what do you think those are? Empathy. Okay. Empathy is a huge one. Um, empathy, like, and I can 
I can understand things from a woman's point of view um, a lot easier than some of the male, some of my male friends. I'm not going to say that I understand women because I don't want to get killed later on. Um, you know, you don't understand women. <laughs> you fool. Maybe not sounding quite like that, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my empathy bone is enormous, but, um, <laughs> so interesting, man. Yeah. I didn't even know any of this before I stepped in here. No, I know. Yeah. No, I know. I, I sort of kind of blindsided you with this nonsense. It's not nonsense. It's, it's, it's interesting. I almost don't know where to go next with that. <laughs> <laughs> so taking care of my mom was second nature to me because I have, oh yeah, I forgot to mention. So Kleinfelders also gives you, um, and I'm going to say this, this is the way it's in the literature. Okay. It gives you a massive maternal instinct rather than a paternal, rather than a parental. It gives you a maternal instinct. So I am drawn to babies to take care of them. I'm drawn to old people to take care of them. I'm drawn to people to take care of them. But the massive irony of it all, you're given this massive maternal instinct. You want to have babies, but you can't. So my mom gets ill. She gets sick. She gets Alzheimer's, dementia. My instinct is to take care of her. And it is an instinct. And somebody gets in the way of that, and I just like, get away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So doing this job, doing massage therapy, my instinct is to take care of a person. How'd you get started in massage therapy? Um, I was a musician first. Professional musician. Professional musician. Getting paid to do that. Yes, sir. Right on. Yeah. What kind of music? What do you play? I play the piano. Uh, that's been what I've been playing since six years of age or so. Lessons? Yep. Lessons. So I got um, uh, my associate performers, um, which is the classical... The classical world of basically you're good. Mm -hmm. Were uh, you a musician before you had lessons on the piano? It would have been difficult because I started having lessons on the piano more or less at the same time as we got a piano, which was when I was six. Mm, okay. So maybe. My parents were excellent musicians. My dad played the radio like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> my mom, uh, my mom, my mom actually, she could actually play the piano. Yeah. Um, she took lessons and she loved playing scales. My dad, he continued to play the radio. He played, he loved to play jazz radio really well. Yeah. I can't play jazz, which is amusing, but you sit me down in front of something classical. If you, if there's a singer there, I'll play with the singist. Mm -hmm. If there's a violist or a violinist or I used to play for clarinetists, all the all the repertoire, Brahms, Beethoven, yeah. Weber, all that stuff. In between lessons and master classes and performances and recitals and and so on, I'd be in the second floor music lounge at Western University, massaging people's th uh, throats. That sounds bad. Massaging people's necks and and backs and and you know and noticing you know, hey, if I push here, then the headache that they are having up there goes away. Well, not the arm, but you know what I mean. If I push on their shoulders, then the headache goes away. I wonder why that they is. had no idea where you're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> what you mean this isn't a V log? <laughs> Old a vlog vlog Ross it's a vlog. Gosh, vlog fifty. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll get my old easy arm. 
When you do that, I actually picture you in overalls with straw <laughs> hanging out of your mouth, hanging outside of a gas station. <laughs> that's wow. my picture, yeah. That's, that is a picture, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The last show I saw with somebody wearing that was uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Mm. Weird show, man. Mm, never saw it. Weird, weird. Loved it. Anyway. You were massaging musicians at Western. I was, yeah. Not knowing what the heck I was doing. Right. And so in those days, they said, you know, you should become a massage therapist because you feel, you, you feel good. You've, you do this really well. And so I said, hey, I'll go and, do, I'll go and become a massage therapist. So you're at Western for music. Mm-hmm. I have a d- degree and a half in music. And a degree and a half. Yeah, because the associate gives me the... Gotcha, gotcha. ...through the Royal Conservatory. Mm-hmm. And then I have a... A BA and an honors BA, and I had to say honors. I had to go back to the honors part and spent an, an additional year getting my honors. When I was thinking of getting out of massage twelve years ago, that's another story. Oh, yeah. Well, let's we'll, we'll get there. We'll mm-hmm. get there. So straight from Western into massage therapy? Uh, basically, I I mean I finished my degree in ninety two, and then I worked until ninety. Seven and the working was all music, or oh yeah, okay. Yeah. So you're not begging groceries somewhere. No, no, no. Waiting no. tables while no. you okay. So I was doing the music thing. Um, I had a, a musical group. We were called the Blah New Music Ensemble. How many? How many players in that? Um, there was a core group of four of us. I was on piano and uh, usually hand percussion. Um, my friend Miles was on trombone. Uh, my ex girlfriend Bobby was on clarinet and uh and recorder and miles's ex-girlfriend elizabeth was on viola and then we had a variety of guest musicians coming in we'd have uh improvisational workshops every every week and so getting up in front of a variety of different people from time to time and just playing music mm-hmm. completely improvised completely what we call aleatoric so sounds in nature that we just uh imitate from one another or stuff that we hear in the in the, in the nature or whatever. It's lovely to play hilarious to listen to right afterwards but just wrong to listen to later on largest group of people you've played for probably two or three hundred and it was a free concert but it was fun it's not like my brother my brother's an opera singer he's sung for thousands oh yeah yeah any other siblings other than no, the two of you? Just the two of you. Piano players, radio player, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> musician offspring. And you're, you're st- you, you still dabble? You still oh, yeah. play? I still play. I still play. I try to play every day. Keeps my, uh, after a long day of massage, actually, I find that playing the piano is the best thing I can do. Mm. So, music, performing, group, you don't like the way it sounds after. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now you're in massage school. Where'd you go to school? Uh, CCMH. What makes you decide there? Because you were in London. and As one farmer said to the other, I had to get the flock out of here. <laughs> uh, I've been living in London all my life, and yeah. I just needed to get out of London. And so I went to Toronto. What, why did you want to get out? So you're making it sound like you really want to get out badly. London is an interesting city. Tell me what's interesting about it, because every once in a while, I think to myself, I want to move to London. I think to myself, I want to get the, the flock, flock out of out Toronto of right. and uh, go to London. Um, the comparison between London and Toronto. Um, Toronto is a happening place. Toronto is an expensive place. Yes. Uh, Toronto also has a lot of crime. It has stupid traffic. Very stupid traffic. Can I tell you how stupid the traffic is? Do tell. The time it takes me to get from here to the west end of Toronto, our Hour 15, depending on how heavy my foot is, yep. is the same time it takes me to move from the west end of Toronto to the east end. 
It's insane. I tried driving through Toronto once. Mm-hmm. Once. It was ridiculous. I was actually, right after I had finished massage school, I was helping a colleague, of, well, a colleague, a classmate of mine. She had, she had failed her OSCEs. And so I was helping her and uh, another friend redo all of their classes. And we were going through all of the, everything. And I, and I brought my table. Went and I was living at that point. I was living at uh, Graydon Hall and uh, Don Mills, okay. so just south of the four hundred one. Yeah, yeah. Don, you, you probably know the area better than yeah. I do these days. Uh, Graydon Hall and they were at Danforth, so the Greek Town area. Just on the on the subway, it took me the subway and the street or the subway streetcar and the, and the buses with my table. It was the dumbest thing that I've ever done. It was just crazy. Trying to get around in Toronto with a table <laughs> is just crazy. Here, no problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Toronto, uh, yeah, Toronto traffic is coming to London. There is more insanity in London. Uh, the, the prices are significantly less. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you mentioned that this house is a nice house. It is a nice house. I agree. It's a lovely neighborhood. The house is, if this house was transported magically to Toronto, it would be way beyond all of our price ranges into the tens of millions, mm-hmm. not here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't care what you pay, but you could get a really nice place in London for the same money that you're paying in Toronto. For like sure. A really, really nice place. I've looked at it. I'm like, just last night with my wife, I was looking at, we have a, we have a, we have a condo. It's probably about 1200 square feet. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at what my neighbors are selling their place for. And then I dropped into London. I said, what can I get for for the same price in London? I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. You could get some sweet little place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could probably get this house for that. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to get out. You went to CCMH. You lived mm-hmm. into Toronto. Was this when CCMH was on Yonge Street? Yep. What did you think of school? Did you did you like school? Did I like school? Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. I was a nerd, strangely. Mm-hmm. This might come as a surprise to you. Uh, I know. <laughs> you, you look shocked. <laughs> Listen to that laugh. Um, I was a nerd, and I also knew nobody in London, in, London, in Toronto. So my, my take-home person was the dictionary. So I took the dictionary, and, and, and I learned. So I learned everything in the medical dictionary. I learned anatomy. I learned physiology. All, like I basically, I focused on it totally. Getting out of music was the best thing I could ever do. When I was in music, I found that hanging around with musicians, if there are any musicians out there, I do apologize to all of you, sort of. Um, hanging around with musicians was painful and, and, and horrific because all they could talk about was music. And I was so done with that. All I wanted to do was talk about something else. Like, you know, biology is fantastic. Physics and astronomy. Do you think all musicians just talk about music? Or is it classical musicians? Classical musicians just talk about music. Yeah, gotcha. You don't think all all, all, all rock music? No, music no, no. Rock talking. musicians and jazz musicians are usually really cool dudes. Yeah, because or they look like they're cool dudes. Maybe they're not. No, they pretty much are. Yeah, yeah. If if they can talk about anything other than just the music, then I'm I'm I'll dig them. So I think you do music too. I, I mess around. Right. So you talk about more than just music. Obviously. I also wouldn't put myself in the musician category. <laughs> no. No. Right. Well, I'm kidding. I used to play in all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Had a crappy band, sort of. Sort of crappy, sort of not. I actually had um the guitar player on. He writes most of this stuff. He's actually a really interesting guy. We had a, we had a series about mental health. Mm. And um, he has synesthesia. Oh, cool. Are you familiar with you're Yes, familiar. I am. Yes, yes. So he... 
He hears sounds, sees colors. Very cool. So he does a lot of producing and stuff now. And we had we had a group went through a lot of different changes. We started playing in high school and uh, all rock stuff. And then eventually we got to a point where we had a manager who was kind of a real deal kind of manager. They were preparing us to do a showcase. And the showcase, you're familiar with the showcase? From the showcases, essentially, you do a show, but for record companies, A&R people. And the whole point is to, to score a deal out of it. And so before that showcase, Warner Canada took us out to dinner. Um, uh, Warner Canada, who else? Universal Canada, the night after, took us out to dinner and said, listen, we like what you guys do. We're going to, we're, we're, we're prepared to offer you a development deal. And the development deal is here's a boatload of money, but we want to hear more of what you have because we don't, we're not prepared to sign a deal based on what you, what we see. So produce for us three or four more songs. And if we like it, then a deal is we, we will do a deal with you. And our management said no to both. He said, nope. We want a full deal or nothing. Because in a development deal, you're in contract. You can't do anything else, right? We want a full deal or nothing. They both said, we'll do the nothing round. And uh, (laughs) good luck to you. And so then they shopped us around to a whole bunch of other places. Nothing happened out of that. We then got rid of our management. Mm -hmm. We went back to both of them and said, we got rid of our management. That wasn't our decision. That was their decision. We are prepared to take the development deal. And I think it was Warner that said to us, sorry, we're working with another band out of Mississauga. It's a band called Billy Talent, blah, 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 blah. I heard of that name. Yeah. I heard of that name two years later on the radio. Yeah. As I'm driving and I hear this band Billy Talent on the radio, I call up the guitar player. I'm like, did we play a show with these guys or something? Like, why did I know this name? He's like, that's our development deal. I don't know why I started talking about that. This is about you. Why did I do that? Because... <laughs> I, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, I feel like I'm being interviewed. Yeah. So, it was about music and musicians and the talk of music. And I just fell into it. And mm-hmm. all I did was talk about music. So, you were in Toronto. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> You're in Toronto. Lugging around a table sucks. And um, did you work? Did you stay in Toronto after you did your Oskis and work in Toronto? Uh, no, I didn't. Um so I came back to London. I was hanging out here. What made you want to leave Toronto then since you want to get out of here so bad? Well, here's the fun thing. So I came back here and I was hanging out with my mom and cleaning up in this house because this is actually the house that I grew up in. Do you like living in the house that you grew up in? Yes and no. Um, Tell me the no. Ah, the no is I. there are times when I, even though I've been taking care of this place, like all of its maintenance, yeah. like my father died back in 88. Um, my mom died obviously two, uh, two and a half years ago-ish. Mm-hmm. While she was ill with the Alzheimer's dementia, I was taking care of everything. So, you know, if the if the roof had a leak, then I was taking care of it. If the pool, there's a pool in the back. If the pool needed to have, needed to be changed over to salt water. Yes, I've gone to salt water now. That was my decision. If I wanted to have solar heating, which I did mm-hmm. uh, for the pool, then I, that's why I put it up. And, you know, taking care of the lawn and taking care of the bills and taking care of all right, that. Right, right, right. All that. I think the right word is feces, but there's another word for that. I can't remember what it is right now. Rhymes with pit. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so taking care of all that stuff, it basically became my house. Yeah. Um, the room that we're currently sitting in used to be a workroom that had just loads of crap. Ooh, that's another word for that, too. <laughs> loads of crap in here. And it was, there was, it was chock-a-block with nonsense. And so I gutted it and made this what I consider beautiful room. It is a beautiful room. Thank you. Um, for all those of you watching in black and white, 
<laughs> I've been watching. It's not a it's not a V You know, this will end up being a video, but they're going to be staring at our podcast logo. <laughs> <laughs> so this basically has become my house. But even though that still has become my house, I open up a door and I see Ross's part for Time Machine, Neil is my brother, Neil's part for whatever it is. And I think and I'm transported back to being a six year old. Yeah. So there are times when I feel like I haven't grown up. There are times when I feel like I am, you know, the lord and master of this place. Right. Um, so it's a really strange way of living. It's the, I mean, when my wife and I were, ex-wife, whatever, when we were married, we were here in this house. Um, I had my first girlfriend at this house. I had, yeah. you know, whoever else has been in my life has been at this house. Yeah. I was at this house, 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 house. So I needed to get away from London. I needed to get away from this house. I needed to get away from some of the memories that were surrounding my dad's he died of cancer. Uh, his death, I needed to get away from London. I'd been sick of London for a while. So I got. To, I went to Toronto, um, went to CCMH. The teachers at CCMH at that time were, were amazing, like spot on amazing. I can't remember all their names. Lauren was one. Jan, I, had, I had Lauren. You had Lauren? Oh, yeah. Mm. Bloody amazing. Um, Joanne Baker was another. I've, I've worked with Joanne Baker. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Gavin Elder was another one. I think I was there his last year of teaching there. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Dave Eibner. Um, <laughs> no. Okay. Not for me, but yeah. Uh, he had a very, he, he said one thing to me one day. He was very, he was very straight, straight in my face. He had said one thing to me that I thought was fantastic. It's not rocket science, Ross, because I was overthinking everything. So that plus the one guy who I've I've used this one guy's treatment every day. Um, this one guy, everybody knows this guy's name, but you don't know that you know it. So you know the, the, the first line of this book, it says, it was a dark and stormy night. Everybody knows that first line. It's by a, a chap named Edward Bulwer-Lytton. Edward Bulwer-Lytton, he, uh, he was a second-rate author in the 19th century, and he wrote a book called Paul Clifford. Paul Clifford used to teach at... CCMH, he wrote a book called something that I can't remember. It's on my bookshelf somewhere. And the first line of Paul Clifford, it was, it was a dark and stormy night. And there's a competition every year, and it's called the Edward Bulwer-Lytton competition. And it's for people to write the most ridiculous first line of a book. And that's all they write. And some people, they write this massive tome, one sentence. It was a dark and stormy night. It's supposed to start in that sort of vein. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really hilarious. So I brought that to his attention. He said, I had no idea. And I said, Paul, I am a font of ridiculous, useless, <laughs> insane knowledge. So there you go, Edward Bulwer. But yeah, Paul Clifford uh, was probably the most influential teacher I have ever had until I met you. Um, mm. The two of you... I would say are at the same kind of level. You're both ridiculously knowledgeable, um, excellent teachers and excellent with your hands and excellent at intuiting the, the knowledge of massage therapy and how the body works with the, with the biophysics of how, how bodies are put together and why they work the way they do. So the two of you, I'd, I'd, I'd say are sort of like my, you're my favorite teachers. Cool. Did not know that either. I feel weird hearing stuff like that. That's why I suddenly get awkward. That, so that's why you've sort of you've, you've changed position at least three times now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah that, that stuff always makes me feel a little strange. 
That's all right. Because I just feel like, uh, you know, I do what I do. And, no, I know. And I know. That, yeah. And I'm, it's, it's like that. I imagine it's like that for all of the massage therapists out there. All you massage therapists out there who hear, oh, you're amazing. It's like, yeah, okay, thanks, whatever. I'll just get on with my work. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm grateful for the words and stuff. I just get, I get awkward even, like, I don't even, I don't even like the holidays because I get gifts. Like, mm-hmm. my wife's family, like, please do me a favor. Tell them no gifts for me. Gifts for everyone else. I just feel weird even just, like, having people look at me open a gift. Like, I I don't do certain sporting activities because you're just sta- – it's really strange because I used to play music and I teach in front of groups. But just having people sit there and look at me do something, I feel awkward. Like, I don't – I hate bowling for that reason. Because I feel yeah. like everyone's just sitting there watching me get a ball, do my thing. Same thing with mini golf. I'll never mini golf. I did it maybe three times in my life. And I'm like, it just makes me feel awkward because people are just standing around looking at me do this thing. It's just the weird. Yeah, I'm strange like that. Well, that is. I mean, you could you could do something with it. See, that's that's a time when I sort of enjoy being in front of people because when people are just sort of sitting there looking, their brains are usually turned off. So I'll do something ridiculous. And I I don't even get that far to think that their brains are probably turned off. Then they're not looking at me. Well, I mean, you could you could be absolutely. This is going to sound wrong. You'd be absolutely straight. No, that's that's wrong. <laughs> you could be absolutely. You actually, you know, non. Descript. That's better mm. than saying straight. It has all sorts of other connotations. Um, and then you could become ent- entirely ignored because most people are so involved, self-involved that yeah. they, they don't see past the ends of their nose. Short distance for me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to this great big schnoz. Ross, you are given a great big schnoz. What are you doing with it? <laughs> You could be using the. You could have been on television. You could have been in, replacing some other. I can do this. I, I can do this accent. I'm allowed. You're allowed to, right? I am. <laughs> For all those of you who are listening, thinking he's being bad. <laughs> You're a bad guy. Yeah. I was introduced as Ross. I can. Can I give you my last name? Yeah, sure. Banerjee. Banerjee is is the last name. Banerjee is is from India. Mm-hmm. Um, Banerjee is actually a short form name. There's a lot more letters that come after that. There are a lot more letters. Um, the real last name, as far as I know, is Banjapati. But I've been told by somebody else that that's even the short form. Or I was doing some reading that Banja is a short form of Bandogat, mm-hmm. which is a portion, a, a region of Calcutta. So the long form name would be Ban, Bandagarabaji. Mm. which is long, and so it got shortened to Banerjee. Who shortened it? That's an excellent question, because I found my father's birth certificate about three years ago, and two things I found out. One is that his last name was Banjapati, and he was born on the 15th of of May, when I always thought it was the 1st of April. Mm. Ta-da! It's the same guy. I've seen pictures of him. It is my dad, but um, yeah. So... When I do an Indian accent, <laughs> you're you're allowed. I am. I'm. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not being. You know, a racist. Yeah. Yeah. I get that a lot too because I'm. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a huge mix. And whenever I'm doing something at home, my wife's like, "Make sure you keep that indoors. Like, you keep you keep that here because <laughs> someone hears you doing that or saying that, and they don't know the full background. You know, mm-hmm. that's not going to pan out well for you. No. But it works out well because I don't really speak much in public anyway. So fair enough. So. CCMH. <laughs> You're back in London. Mm-hmm. Back in London. So, back in this okay. house. And I did want to ask something about this house. Sorry. No worries. And, um, wow, this is a crazy talk. I know. It's okay. It's, I love yeah, it. Yeah. I love it too. Yeah. Um, are you, were you, <laughs> this is going to really goofy. Oh, goody. Were you really kind of protective of this house in that 
maybe your wife at the time was like, let's do this to this house. Let's do this. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is the way the house is. This is the way it needs to be. Um, it wasn't my wife who was saying that, actually. It was some of my friends. Um, some of my friends, they would come over and say, you've got to get rid of this carpet. I know what you mean. Because my parents still live in the same house. They're not moving. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're too, they're, you know, they're, they're up there. They're in their, their mid to late, well, mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a you know four bedroom house. It's way too big for them. <laughs> My father is not really mobile anymore. He, he's deteriorated a lot. I mean, to the point at which they had to install a lift to go up and down the stairs for nice. him. Yeah. And he's not going there. I'm like, let's 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 get you a bungalow. It's, it's, why do you need stairs? Why do you need this big place? And they're like, no, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and it, the running joke was, I always used to tell them that this is my house. Like <laughs> I grew up in this house. I lived there since I was like maybe two months old. <laughs> and I'm like, this is actually mine more than yours like i lived like 90 percent of my life here at that time i'm like mm-hmm. you live like 50 of it here this is my place and so whenever i bring that up to my wife like hey you know what uh let's let's take my parents house let's 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 let's, let's take that off their hands she's like well then i'd want to do this to it and this to it so i'm like and then i'm like are you kidding me that's my that's like it's got to be the way i remember it being yeah but anyway, I sorry. No, no, I get that. I I understand that. And well, you never met my mom. Um, my mother, my mother was a proper British lady. You see, she was born. She was born in 1932, and my my grandfather and grandparents were born in the in the 1800s. You see, and they were very proper and very Victorian. And my mother brought that out with her, and it seems that I've brought it myself now. <laughs> If, you, if, all, if all of you start thinking of me as this proper British lady, I will, I will have something to say to you. I really don't think so. John Cleese, I'll get that. I don't mind that. But I don't want to be thought of as a proper British lady. Thank Al- you. Albatross. <laughs> What's it taste like? It's like fucking albatross. What do you think it tastes like? <laughs> and all the young people are like, what the hell are these guys talking about? <laughs> I know. Sorry, all of you. Yeah, so my mom was very proper. My mom was very British. And... The idea of playing around with this house and doing something to it that my mom wouldn't approve of was anathema to mm. life. And it would be anathema to your life. We should change this. Oh, no, it's wrong accent. <laughs> hey, man, we should change this. I don't think so. <laughs> okay, we won't. Yeah. I was thinking I when my mom was still alive, I was thinking I should put some, should get rid of the carpets and put uh, hardwood down. I don't like carp- I don't like hardwood. What would you do? Would you go clump, clump, clump around? I don't like the sound of my fo- my footsteps on the ground. <laughs> I only want to have carpets. Okay, I guess we'll have just carpets. Oh man, this all feels so familiar. <laughs> <laughs> it really does because, like, every time, like, my mother is the same I- idea. I'm like, why don't you do this? She's like, nope, nope, sorry. This is the way I want it. This is the way it's staying. Yeah. And this is my house, and I'm going to die in it. Yeah. I've had a couple people come through, and, and I actually do want to get rid of some of the carpets because they've been going for mm-hmm. 50 years, actually, um, and put down hardwood. So, you know, please, mommy. <laughs> please, papa. I'll, I'll, go to the, I'll go to the cemetery and, and lie prostrate in front of their, their grave marker and say, look, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> Mom, please. Yeah. Where'd your folks meet? They met here in London, actually. Um, my dad was a physician. Uh, he was a radiologist. Um, he did his training in India, in Calcutta, and then he did more training in Cambridge, uh, England. And one of his colleagues was um, a radiologist here in London. Uh, I think she was the, the head of radiology. I'm not sure. 
um, she retired or she left the profession. And so somebody who he had gone to school with in England called him up one day and said, Rabat, we've got a pair of extra hands needed in London. Please come down. And so he came. 1964, he came to London, moved into a place called Park Towers, downtown London. My mom, on a lark with her friend Fiona, came to London in 1962, moved into first the YMCA because you could do that in those days and it mm-hmm. wasn't a dodgy place it wasn't a dodgy thing to do mm-hmm. and then they moved into park towers and so the 1964-65 there was a new year's eve party they met they got married in the end of 66 they did the appropriate requisitioning of storks and i came to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i was 1968 which makes me turning 51 this year holy frick that's all right. all right. Makes you good RMT, so it does. Makes me an older RMT. Well, let's talk about the career path. Sure. Yeah. So tell me what you do now for work, or give me give us the path. Where did it start? You're back in London now. You're an RMT. You got these awesome three letters behind your name. You dragged a table from Don Mills down to Greek Town, and then you drag it across the 401 to back to London. Now what's happening? So it was the reason I decided to stay here is because I called Donovan, my then friend, became girlfriend, became wife, became now ex-wife, became the person I live with. Um, yeah, so I called her up and we, and we had a conversation and she, she said, and she seemed like a, a cool person to hang out with. And so we, so I thought maybe I'll stay in London cause she, you know, she's a girl and I was a boy and I'm mm-hmm. single and eh, you know how things could go. I do. Yeah. So I, uh, I thought, okay, well, uh, there's this girl that I like and she's here in, in London and maybe I'll just stay here. So I stayed here and I got a job at a place called Carpe Diem uh, in London. Uh, at, sorry, in um, oh, where is it? Covent Garden Market. Here in London, we call everything by stuff that's called uh, stuff that's named the way it is in London, England, because we have no real sense of uh, originality. Mm. So we have Covent Garden Market. We have all the names that you know. It's it's embarrassing. We even have the Thames River. It's not yeah. the Thames. <laughs> it's the Thames, because we all think that we're English, but we're not. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, I got a job at uh, Carpe Diem, and I stayed there for a few months. And I got a job at um, a bodybuilding place where I was the massage therapist in the back. And then I, <laughs> amusingly, I was still I was selling um, I, as a sort of a side job. I was helping um, his name's Aaron Brady, good guy. He was he owned a, he owns a place called Spartan Nutrition. Anybody is in. London, they want to get supplements and they are doing bodybuilding or they're doing anything of that sort. Please go to see him. He now has a, a shop just south of uh, Oxford on Richmond Street. He's a good guy. Um, he said, do you want to work here? And I said, sure. And so I worked there for a while. And then there was a lady from Western, University of Western Ontario in those days. Now it's been rebranded as Western. I worked there from 2002 to 2007 or so. Left, started Working with a dancer down in Lambeth. At Western, were you working like in the sport therapy department? Nope. I was at Campus Recreation. Okay. And then left and thought to start a business with my friend Shauna. Uh, she has a business down in Lambeth mm-hmm. uh, called A-Land Dance Arts. Mm-hmm. Then that didn't go particularly well. And so I thought, right, I'm going to get out of massage and go and do something else. What about that didn't go well, if you want to say? Um, I was terrible at branding myself. I was terrible at 
advertising. Terrible at it. Just horrific. Terrible at it in you didn't know what to do. Terrible at it in that every attempt didn't go anywhere. Or terrible at it that you just didn't bother. Yes, yes, and no. Mm-hmm. I, try, I tried. I tried doing stuff. The thing that I found that worked the best was word of mouth. Right. So the people that I'd had at Western, I told about them, you know, you have to tell your people that you're leaving. I told them all, I'm leaving. This is where I can be found if you mm-hmm. want to find me. Um, and um, so they found me. Well, not all of them, but a number of them found me. And so right. my private practice just grew from there. And so it's always the private practice, always a word of mouth. It's mm-hmm. done really well for me. And so um, then, yeah, then I thought I was going to get out of massage. Um, so I, why did you think that just because it wasn't going the way you wanted it to? Yeah, it wasn't going the way I wanted. And so 2008 took some biology and some other courses and, uh, I was going to go into environmental science actually did all sorts of science, loved it. Wasn't amazing at it, but was not bad at it. Um, did you feel more at home with that than massage or at least at that time? At the time. Yeah, I did. But then February, 2010, mum falls. And mm. she breaks her hip. And so that I realize I can either spend all my time away from my mother and who's going to take care of her right. or I'm going to take care of her. And so I thought, I know massage therapy. I'm sticking with it. Mm-hmm. So I stuck with it and I uh, worked at a chiropractor's office and I worked for myself out of my home. I was just stuck with it. And now 19, 18 and a half years later, here I is. And so now I work, um, I have this lovely office, which, by the way, has a heated floor. I don't know if you've noticed that. I've noticed that my feet are not cold, and now thinking about it, I would have expected them to be cold, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Because it's a basement. And I, I found these amazing tiles that look like wood, but they're not. They're tile. And had heated floor put down, because um, I have heated floor in another part of the basement as well, and I love it. So people get off the table. Mm-hmm. The table itself is heated. In the winter, when you'd think that you'd be freezing your... Um, Quite toasty. Everything is warm. Nice. For all those of you out there that uh, are thinking about having your own uh, room uh, and you have a few extra pennies to rub together, please get a heated floor. This is, this is expensive to do? It sounds expensive. Um, you don't have to say anything, but... It was... The room itself was expensive. Yeah. But the guy who did it was top-notch. Yeah. Well worth it. Yeah. Right on. So, yeah. Now I work... Um, I have the room. I go and do house calls to people's homes, to retirement homes, to uh, long-term care facilities. I'm contracted with a company called Vitalis Health and Fitness here in London, um, and I'm contracted at a particular retirement home, and we hope to be getting more um, more uh, retirement homes on board sh- shortly. I work at um, the Elmhurst Inn and the Idlewild Inn, which are two spas in Ingersoll and London, respectively. And that's it. Is that it? One, two, three, four. Yeah, that's it. Of all of the stuff you, you do, will, do you have a preference? or Here. Yeah. This space, hands down. Any reason why? Big. I know I've been giving you great big long answers, and that's like big space, light, comfortable, feet are happy. Um, for those of you who work in, in spas and have to listen to spa music, there's something to be said about listening to Anything other than spa music. What do you play here? Whatever you want. And patient choice. Patient choice. Metallica. You'll you'll be like, yeah, I got it. Yep. Or is this like a 
Let me find it on Spotify. I've got it. I've got, well, I don't, I don't actually have, no, I do have Metallica. But if they're wanting to listen to really heavy metal type of stuff, mm-hmm. I have a band that I really love playing called Audric Tentacles. Never heard. No, most people haven't. They're a band out of, they're out of England, but I'm trying to remember where. It doesn't really matter where. Yeah, I'm not a Jarfi guy anyway. That's okay. I am here. Um, Audric Tentacles, they are fantastic. It's sort of a, a, a wild mix. I like calling them... Um, a psychedelic space rock band. Give me your definition of space rock. Psychedelic, I get. Space rock. <sighs> what makes it space rock? Have you ever listened to anything by Brian Eno? I don't think so. Uh, Constance Demby? I don't think so. Have you ever listened to anything by with the, the record label Hearts of Space? Maybe, I'm, maybe I need a description sonically what you call space rock sonically the only way i'm going to be able to do that is to actually plug it in Mm. can i do that of course cool um you know what i'll play it through my phone and it'll sound terrible but you'll get an idea Mm -hmm. space rock yeah psychedelic space rock standard instruments we're talking about here like standard instruments uh five five piece kit and bass drums yep yep i feel like i'm gonna hear like fuzzy pedals so the first album that i got from them was an album called the floors too far away i think in the 16 or 17 albums that they have one song might have vocals i dig it i dig it a lot that's that's uh two things one question Mm. stadium act yeah, definitely has to be has to be. like as soon as i hear that i'm like this this is this this can't be any it's because that's like to me, stadium acts are either like like really fat and big headphony type of music, mm-hmm. or it's Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a that's a musician's band. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're into prog rock, yeah, um, you'd definitely be into that. Um, and I do like prog rock. Mm-hmm. And one of my clients, uh, I go and see him, and. He has the most amazing collection of prog rock I've really, ever, eh? and it's all on record. He always plays just on record, and he says, "Ross, gotta listen to this." And he'll bring out, he'll find some yes that he had that no one's ever listened to in like four hundred years or mm-hmm. whatever forty years. Yeah, um, maybe uh, more people listen to yes because didn't they just recently get inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I think sure. I think that happened no in like three. Within the last five years, that happened. No idea. Yeah. I don't pay attention. This is this is a bad thing. I don't pay attention to pop. Um, it's not culture. a. It's not a bad thing. Okay. Right. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, I've I've been teased um, mercilessly that I don't know anything about pop culture at all. What was the last thing someone teased you about not knowing pop culture? Oh, fairly recently. <laughs> do you do you, do you, do you recall what, what the content was? No, because it's pop culture. I don't mm. sort of went in one ear and out the other. Gotcha. I don't really follow a lot of stuff. I don't follow a lot of things in people and sports and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whenever someone asks me, so you, you know this? You ever hear this? Or you know this person? I'm like, nope. Do they know me? Mm-hmm. The chances are they don't know me. I don't feel the need to know them. Mm-hmm. Well done. <laughs> and then that normally kills the conversation. <laughs> and then we're back to where I like it, where it's, <laughs> where it's for me, comfortable silence. For them, uncomfortable silence. Comfortable silence. It's funny. I just watched the, uh, the Mr. Rogers uh thing on Netflix. I mm. presume it was a film before that, but it was on Netflix. And he really liked the idea of silence. So he would, if he was wanting to find out about something, he would ask a person a question. 
and then he would be silent, and then the person would just fill that noise, fill that gaps, fill that gaps, fill that silence with their with their tongue wagging, mm-hmm. like like you have done right here. I have, <laughs> you have been my Mister Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day. Yeah. So I have. Uh, I have filled your silences. I dig it, man. You're an interesting guy. You're way more interesting than than I thought. And I thought you're an interesting dude even before I I had difficulty finding your house. <laughs> <laughs> interesting story about that. Yeah. So yeah. it was my parents who who bought the property. I don't know what my dad was thinking, to be entirely honest. But I think he figured that because we had this huge line of trees, and there are actually more trees then than there were now than mm-hmm. there are now. He didn't want to break up that line of trees because there used to be these huge um, evergreen trees that went down the Westmount Drive. And then the property that was next door was an unused property. And that line of trees continued and he didn't want to break up that line of trees. So he put the driveway on Westmount Hills Drive, Mm -hmm. even though the address is Westmount Drive. So it's, uh, it's a bit confusing. Anybody who's coming here, I don't know if I did it to you. Or if I sent it to you properly. If I didn't, I do apologize. But I say the driveways on Westmont Hills Drive. There was a there was going to be a path that I was going to have you walk down, but it's covered in ice because we had ice storms and then we had rain and then ice and then sleet and then snow and then rain and then ice and then sleet and then snow and rain and then ice and sleet and snow and I was too lazy to get out and clear it off. So I don't blame you. Let the warm weather come. Let 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 that do it. I know, but I I want I want people to use the space. I want people to use my path coming down. It's a lovely path. Or are you trying to not let them see the carpet? <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> I didn't notice the carpet. That's well. nice. Whew. <laughs> yeah. Right on, brother. Anything else you want to wrap on? We could talk about massage, but that's sort of secondary, nearly, and not really secondary. It's all it's all intertwined. It's the great interconnectedness of all things, which brings you back to, you know, dirt gently and 40. Ah, that's what I wanted to bring it up. Aha, I knew there was a reason. Um, it all comes back to this. You were thinking that you were still 42. Do you know why? Because 42 is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Give me more, because I didn't know that, so that couldn't have been my reason. Yeah, that's uh, a shame. <laughs> See, the earth was devised as the, the, the earth, um, this... Have you ever heard of an author named Douglas Adams? I don't read. I beg your pardon? I don't read. I'm not well read ah, at all. Okay. Can you say that instead of I don't read? I, I have the capability of reading. Yes. Um, I, I, I read stuff that is semi of interest to me sometimes. Um, I tried reading. High school – Fucking hated English class. <laughs> Not gonna lie, because I think I, I a lot of it was the way they they mm-hmm. teach high school English. Yep. Read chapters four through five. You're gonna have a quiz on it, mm-hmm. right? Read this whatever Shakespeare stuff. You're gonna have a quiz on it, mm-hmm. and I hated it. Mm-hmm. I barely scraped by high school English till about grade eleven. Mm-hmm. And I had the laziest teacher in the world, mm-hmm. and by the laziest teacher, he didn't mark anything. He didn't do anything. He's he didn't give exams. He didn't and that's when I started to, hey, then no pressure. I'll, I'll read this book now. And he was giving out uh, midterm marks. He calls me up to the class, Mark. And there was no mark beside my name. And he looked at me. He's like, I think you got in 87. And he wrote down 87. And ever since then, I was like, okay, I kind of deal with English a little bit. And then I read some of the books in high school. And then after that, I'm like, I can't read, I can't read a novel. 
I can't do it. And then, man, probably about when I finished university, I said to myself, let me try reading novels. Everyone freaking reads novels. Let me try reading something. And that didn't go well. Um, then I said, I'm, I like music. Let me try a musician biography. And I probably did three or four of those. And I'm just like, I can't, it doesn't hold me. Well, if you can get your hands on a, an audiobook, they're fantastic. They, they work really well. Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm. If you're anywhere near a nerd, which you may be, um, it's a music. What, what's your definition of nerd, sir? Um, like, I mean, I, I, I feel like I understand James Tiberius Kirk. Does that make me a nerd? Does. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So no. Uh, okay. If if you like if you like science fiction, if you like comedy, if you like um, interesting turns of phrase, if you like if you like list, if you can listen to an English person and laugh at them because they're laughing at themselves. Yeah. So Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide. He talks about the meaning of 42. So originally the the earth was created so that answer, no, deep thought was created as a computer, was created to figure out what, you know, the, the answer is, what the answer is to life, the universe and everything. And he came up with 42. And then, so then the, the, the question then became, well, what is the question? And so that's when the earth was created. The earth was created to figure out what the question is to what is the answer to the answer of life, the universe, and everything. So I won't give that away, just in case you intrepid intrepid learners want to find out. I'm not going to give away the, you know, the the penultimate. Well, not even that. Anyway, it's it's very silly. The whole book is very silly. The whole series is a it's a trilogy of five, mm-hmm. and it's all very silly. Forty two. When I turned forty two, that was the year that my mom had her fall, and I sort of really got into being 42. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, hey, you're 42. You're getting into 42 because it's the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Why, I ask you, Mark, why is it that a simple question can come up, can make me spew nonsense for like 15, for two hours? <laughs> I, can, I can come up with utter rubbish. How? It's the, it's the, the machine up there that turns. Yeah, the machine, there's nothing up there, man. No, I think I think your I think your machine either uh would you say your machine turns slow and never stops or turns really hard really fast and then it needs to rest. It never rests. It's like the slow enduring. No, it just keeps going. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to shove as much stuff as I can in there. So, I'm learning Greek, modern Greek as in the language. How many other language you How many languages do I speak? Yeah. Before learning this before learning modern Greek? Um, well, I did French up until grade 13, okay. when there was still grade 13. Um, I went to Germany for a little while to hang out with my brother, and I learned a bit of German there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's French, English, German. I know more Greek than I know Eng- uh, no, English. Huh? <laughs> I know more Greek than I know French. I know more Greek than I know German. Um, my dad was from India, and so I would eventually want to learn how to speak Bengali, which is her, which is his language. Mm-hmm. Um, so Greek, Bengali, French, German, Spanish. Do you pick up languages easily? I'm assuming, yeah. Eh, somewhat. There are two language programs you can get online, both of them free. Um, one's called Mango Languages. The other one is uh, Duolingo. Duolingo, rather. Totally awesome. I think I have a hard time with languages. Eh. The way they do it, they would have, they would teach you in such a way as you would find some way to make it easy. 
And then they repeat things a billion times over. So it's all about repetition for languages. Oh, yeah, totally. We're all about repetition and then finding somebody to talk to. Yeah. It's weird because I feel like I can, I can do that with, uh, say, human anatomy. Mm -hmm. Up and down, over and over. I, I, I don't know why. I just I never gravitated towards languages. Mm -hmm. I like dropped French as soon as I had the chance, as soon as the opportunity came. Things are different when you get older. How old are your kids? Uh, my oldest is about four and a half, and my youngest is about one and a half. Wow. Yeah. As they start learning stuff, mm -hmm. you will learn stuff too. I always said I wanted to take piano when, when, I'm, when I forced one of the little ones to do it. A mm. year and a half from now, they could start. They could probably start in a half a year if you really wanted them to. I think the, young, the oldest one's attention span is a little too... She's a little, a little too all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to wait on that a little bit. For you, they might mm. see what their teachers say. Yeah, good point. Because kids will be insane for their parent for their parents, but then really calm down for everybody else. Yeah, that's true. Do you have nieces and nephews? Mm, not exactly. My brother doesn't have kids. Um, my I have two cousins in this world. One lives in England. The other one lives in uh, India. And so my English cousin has two kids, and they don't have children. Um, two boys. And my Indian cousin has a boy and a girl, and the boy has a wife and one child, and the girl doesn't have any. So, even if I do, well, I do have nieces and nephews, one niece and two nephews, no, whatever. I have I have relations, but I can count the number of relations I have on my hands. Yeah, right, right. And, um, and in this continent, I'm the only one, which is weird. I have no family. So, I've had to create a family. I've had to create a culture. I've had to create a, a background for myself. Greek people are cool, so... I learned Greek. You happy dude? Am I a happy dude? Yeah. Um, sometimes. I'm trying to find myself again. Um, I had a I had a, a thought that being a person was to be a father or a parent. Mm -hmm. And since all of that 47XXY nonsense came out and all of the sterility and all of the... And then becoming in, um, separated, that sort of prevents me from being a, a parent. Um when my mom was alive, taking care of her, it was sort of like becoming a parent because I had to do literally everything for her. Mm -hmm. um, and for your patient listeners, that means literally everything. Mm. Um, she got to the point where she couldn't go to the bathroom by herself. She couldn't have a shower. She couldn't brush her teeth. She couldn't get dressed. She couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So I literally had to do all these things for her. Um, a friend of mine has suggested I write a book about it all, but it's uh, that's an endeavor. I think you should. We'll see. Yeah. Um, am I a happy guy? I would be happy if I had kids. I would be happy if I had people to take care of. Massage is nice because I get to help people feel good about life, the universe, and everything. Right. But I don't have any continuing responsibility. I see them for the hour, a month, hour, whatever it is, a week. But I'm not up in their business necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever think if you had that, it would fill that spot? Which, kids? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Do you think Absolutely. then you would be like, I fulfilled my destiny? Mm -hmm. Having kids is a weird thing. It's a very strange thing. Mm -hmm. My my life now is very weird. It's I have parents that, you know, they, they get around, they do what they got to do. I still feel like I'm taking care of my parents a little bit. Like, for example, my dad, my father just recently had... Emergency abdominal surgery. My mother called me up and said, 
come here now, take your father to the hot. Everything is come here now. <laughs> come here now, the light bulb went out. We need to ch- come here now, take your father to the hospital. We take him to the hospital, emergency room. They're like, oh no, you just ate something bad. Go, go, everything's going to be fine. And then he starts throwing up massively. Like, oh no, this is not. He had necrotic tissue in his small intestine. They had to remove a third of his small intestines. And that's when it really made me realize my life is really weird right now because it's not really mine. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I have this pull from my kids and to be there for my kids and my family. And then I have this pull from these old folks over here that always, you know, need something or want something. And you, you always want to be a part of that. And it's, it's a very, it's a very strange part that I didn't imagine being in at mm-hmm. all. Like I understood the whole kids thing. I never, I never really, maybe I'm just stupid. I didn't think of that part of it. It's hard being in the sandwich generation where you're, you're being pulled in the two directions, different, different, two different directions. Yeah. The two pieces of bread are saying, I want you. No, yeah. I want you. And then I have this weird thing where I just have this guilt. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God, yeah. The guilt. I was just talking to one of my clients about that. She takes care of her kid, mm-hmm. one of her kids who has um, developmental disorder. I, um, I just told her, you know, she knew all about me taking care of my mom. And I said, I have this truckload of guilt where I feel like I could have done more mm-hmm. for my mom. Mm-hmm. And she said, you can't do that. You cannot do that. You did the, because I was basically doing it by myself. You have to let it go. You did the best that you could do at the time, given the circumstances. Why were you doing it by yourself? You got a, you got a brother. My brother lives in Switzerland. Ah, I got a brother who lives 15 minutes down the street from my parents and I still do it myself. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when you're, when you're taking care of people, yep. there will be one person who does the lion's share of the, of the care. So when my mom was on her deathbed, I figured out how to communicate with her. Part of my, part of my desire to go on and become something else, like something more than just massage therapist, that's supposed to be, well, more than just, you're not just a massage therapist, you're a massage therapist, beast, proud of yourself, young man. <laughs> go West, young man. <laughs> more than a massage therapist, more than only having BA, music, ARCT, piano, performer, RMT, massage therapist. I want to be, I want to have more letters after my name so that I can help more people. I want to be able to help older people. I specifically want to be able to help old people and people who have not, who have difficulty in expressing themselves Mm -hmm. because there is a wealth of information. There's a wealth of knowledge. There's a wealth of communication that can happen between somebody who is unable to speak and the rest of us. And the only way I know how to do that is by doing studies and Mm -hmm. doing, getting research. And I don't know, it's way beyond our scope of practice to be doing the type of things that I want to do. Um, and that goes into the realm of physiotherapy and occupational therapy and physician. So that's kind of what it is. So I was able to interact with my mom who had stopped talking months ago and figure out what she, what she wanted. And the doctors would come in and I say, my mom wants this and this and this and this. And she, they would say, how can you possibly know this? And I would say, because she, we worked out a system of communication and she told me it was all through yes and no, mm-hmm. but she still told me she right. still had enough ability to squeeze my hand, even the tiniest little bit. And I could figure out what she wanted. Um, it's all about communication. It's all about how are you getting your point across and how are people being able to get their point across to you? Mm-hmm. I want 
I want to help people. I want them to be able to tell me what they want. Was my brother able to tell me what he wanted? Was he able to tell my mom what he what she wanted? Was were we able to communicate? Were we are are we able to communicate our needs as clients? Are we able to communicate our needs as therapists? Are we able to communicate our needs as as just two people sitting here yapping away at each other? Communicate. I dig communication. That's why I love language. Yeah, I really dig it. If you won the lottery, oh, dude, if I won the lottery. A, I'd be living in Greece because uh, it's warm there. They got some good food and the people are all fantastic. People in general are fantastic, but I am learning Greek, so the people are fantastic. Yeah, I don't know. There's not much else in my head. In my head. I dig it, brother. Right on. Thanks for having me out here. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, uh, this, this, was, this, this was, has been interesting. Yeah, very cool trip. Very cool trip. We didn't really talk about, you know, massage techniques or anything. I didn't, I really had no idea what to expect from this. This podcast is about people. Mm hmm about stories, mm -hmm. and you happen to be a therapist. And I think there's just way too many people that do some really cool stuff or they have a really interesting way of looking at the world. And uh, I think they got some really cool stories that could either inspire someone or help someone learn something about themselves, about what they do, about something. And that's that's kind of we're, – we're about people and stories. Cool. Yeah, man. And you, sir, have fucking awesome stories. Thank you so much. Well, I think we'll uh, we'll call this one a wrap. Right on, guys. You have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. My name is Mark. My name's Ross. Peace.